there's always a FinReg Angle, the podcast providing you with the latest news and commentary on financial regulation. Brought to you by Global Custodian. Hello and welcome to the first episode of season five of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, Managing Editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually, as always, by a pair of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy and Virginia O'Shea. How are you both? Good. Not bad. Happy New Year. And, well, season five, congratulations. But we're a bona fide uh, podcast. We should start winning awards soon, I think. <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. They said it wouldn't last, and here we are. It last. That's it, proving the doubt is wrong. And what better way to mark the beginning of season five than discussing the culmination of a theme that's been running since literally our first episode, and that is the Bitcoin ETF. So I should say, actually, apologies to anyone tuning in thinking they were getting a asset servicing um, episode here on Global Custodian, because I'm afraid we're just going to be talking about <laughs> Bitcoin ETF. But, you know, we're, we're a couple of weeks out from the approval. And I don't know about YouTube, but it was so fun watching the carnage that ensued when the SEC sent out that fake tweet um, just days before the approval was coming. Um, do, you, do you remember where you were when you saw the tweet or heard about what happened? I think I missed it because I was I was watching TV at the time. It was in the evening, wasn't it, UK time? Yeah. So it was. <clears throat> I was definitely on Twitter as I tend to be, so I definitely saw it come across. Um, no, that was that was a a perfect ending to what has been an increasingly <laughs> absurd process. I have to say. <laughs> so do they know what happened yet? Yes, they do. They do. They 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 they've had the FBI. I don't know the. CIA, God knows who else investigating it. And they, they released a statement, early, what was it last week, I think, end of last week, saying that the um, somebody at the SEC had turned off to multi-factor authentication to their phone. And somebody had, therefore, somebody had left a, a door open for somebody to hack the phone and basically take control of the account that way. Wow. And, and given that the SEC has been going on and on and on about multi-factor authentication as part of some of its updates to... Um, to, to its uh, you know cybersecurity rules, it is a little bit ironic, isn't it? Really. <laughs> oh yeah, I love the irony in it, um, and even that you know it's Bitcoin, isn't it? It's like oh, take us seriously, we're a legitimate thing, and then suddenly, you know this this happens, um, and yeah. So for anyone that, that wasn't aware, I think it was just twenty four hours or so before the approval of the Bitcoin ETF was expected, and yeah, someone hacked into the SEC's Twitter account and announced that they'd been approved. Obviously, everyone shared it. I think a lot of the media outlets covered it as a story as well, which, of course, you would. Um, and then, did the SEC have to put out a statement then, shortly after, just saying? It was on Gensler's, yeah. um, I think it was Gensler that actually had to make the statement, because they, yeah. they didn't have control of the account, did they? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I guess into a more serious matter and not just poking fun of the whole process how how big is this um you know what what does this mean for obviously cryptocurrencies um you know how much of it is hype and how much of it is a real step forward would you say so i think the i mean it's been a long time coming obviously but i think i think the final approval of the bitcoin etf uh matters for a couple of reasons. So one, it, it brings Bitcoin firmly within the regulatory perimeter, right? So that it's, there's no longer this sort of, it's on the periphery. And I, so I think that's an important development, no matter if you're a fan of Bitcoin or not, it's, but you, acknowledging the fact that it's now sort of a mainstream 
I hate to use the term, but asset class. I'm using air quotes right now. You guys can see it. Um, so that's important. I think it's important in another way in that sort of, you know, what comes next sort of for, you know, crypto, um, crypto. So obviously Ethereum is sort of the next obvious candidate. And then I think quite honestly, what does it mean for aggressive and creative securities lawyers when they look to sort of use this precedent of approving the Bitcoin as acceptable for a, an ETF wrapper and retail consumption to sort of punch holes in the line that the SEC is trying to draw around it. You know, it's just really for this specific example, but you set a precedent around sort of a new type of security being allowed to be dumped into an ETF. So I think that's a, you know, that's a longer term play, but you know, you create these precedents and you, the statements from Gary Gans in particular, very clearly want to draw a line in the sand that this is sort of a, a unique situation. But when you, in securities law, there is no such thing as a unique situation. You create precedent and people look to take advantage of it. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, and I guess, I think even in the statement when they approved it, they, they, they were reiterating, you know, this is not a stamp of approval for Bitcoin, right? He was mighty salty about it, it would seem. <laughs> Gary Gensler. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. His statement, like, it was basically, you could read a statement, like, through gritted teeth as he approved it. I mean, you know, so obviously, when they lost the, the grayscale lawsuit in the, in the summer, political pressure, I don't think he had a choice but to sort of push it through. Uh, but he definitely was not happy about it. So it is really interesting to have this product approved that has like the three people, Gensler plus the two people who sort of dissented in the approval, writing very lengthy, like this is a terrible idea uh, and Bitcoin isn't to be trusted. So it's a very interesting world we live in where an asset's been approved that no one, that three of the five commissioners don't recommend anyone purchase. So it's a, it's a weird place to be, but... I suppose it it's very on brand for Bitcoin in general to have that sort of weird approval process. To be fair, I mean, looking at some of the stuff that Esma's been putting out recently, they're doing exactly the same thing, right? They're going, okay, yeah, Mika's here, but be wary, crypto assets are really insecure right. and, and they're not a good investment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I think, I mean, actually, you know, I think Europe benefits are in a couple of ways. A, there is Mika or Mika exists. So there's a framework coming in. So clarifies a lot of the gray area. And two, because of the way the usage rules are written around transferable securities, there's really no chance of Bitcoin in the short or medium term or any crypto finding its way into a usage fund. So a lot of this, yeah, there are crypto ETPs out there, but they don't have the same regulatory approval. And you know, so that sort of usage framework that clearly delineates between retail and not retail and the ETF rules that say you can only use the ETF label if you're a usage fund really sort of spare us a lot of the, in Europe, spare us a lot of the sort of drama around the will they, won't they uh, approval process. Yeah. I guess is, I don't know, if we're not crypto bros, uh, bros are we, are we TradFi bros? Is that what we'd be called? I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but because of that, I don't know, because that's what the area we work in, I just find some of the, the coverage even in the mainstream media, just so tedious and not entirely accurate. I mean, I think there was, I think it was a social media post of someone just listing the things the major banks are doing. Um, and some of them were around some of the digital asset custody units that have been set up. And 
you can put it in a post and put a nice rocket or fire emoji next to it, but they're not actually doing anything. And I guess the point is that, again, you talk about irony earlier, Virginie, that this decentralized cryptocurrency asset, which is very anti-establishment, it, everyone just goes mad when a, uh, an incumbent bank or provider does something in this space. And I guess the same with the ETFs, right? Something you've got um, Franklin Templeton and BlackRock uh, pushing this out. Um, but it's <laughs> With laser eyes and all. Yes, yeah, I saw them change the... Uh, <laughs> is that still there? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's inevitable, though, with any sort of alternative asset class. I mean, we've seen it in multiple areas, right? Anything that gets created, if the street wants to get involved, then it, and it does and it takes it over. Um, and then it sort of normalises everything, to be fair. But, um, I mean, if you look at the bigger picture, though, and I think I'm, sh I'm sure I mentioned this last, last episode, but if you look at it from, from the blockchain pilots and the tokenization pilots, they're moving really slowly. So slow. And, and there's been a decline in, in blockchain use um, if you look at the EBA stats, right? right. So at uh, European Banking Authority stats in Europe. So And Europe is one of the most blockchain forward, supposedly, um, regions, uh, given Mika, given the DLT pilot and all of this other stuff. Mm. So um, you would expect <laughs> more progress if it really was, you know, rocket emoji uh, going on. Yeah, the, uh, you know, at what point are we going to get a bit tired of the tokenization talk? Um, you know, it's, it's well, I think some people right, already yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you're using future tense on that one, but that's a, you know, that's a personal choice. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's an interesting. You know, the Bitcoin ETF is interesting for another reason because essentially, you know, the reason Bitcoin ended up in an ETF approved by the SEC is because the CFTC deemed it a commodity, and so that sort of it took ten years to get here, but that's where we are. But now that Bitcoin is in an ETF it is actually just yeah. commoditized, you know, for consumption, which I think is fascinating. So you have these 11, you know, 11, 10 or 11 providers out there with ETFs. Um, but they're all, you can't differentiate them, right? Like, so you can differentiate on fees, yeah. essentially. But there's no, like, it's a single, single asset ETF. So there is no skill involved in it. So it's really interesting. This is why you're seeing, you know, your Fidelities and your Black Rocks eating the lunch of the more crypto native firms because you know the crypto native firms cater to people who are really into bitcoin and crypto but those people already own bitcoin directly and are, are unlikely to want an etf so the people who want the etf you know are more normal people who are afraid to buy it directly so now of course they're going to buy the fidelity or blackrock version so i think it just really you know we talked about this the last episode like they like TradFi has essentially taken over Bitcoin in a, every real sense with this. So I think it's really sort of a fascinating development to see Bitcoin in particular, which started off with these sort of like new world order roots are basically just, you know, owned by BlackRock yeah. and Fidelity now. It's sort of a weird place yeah. to find yourself. I think all signs pointed to that the whole time, though. Just the, the amount of excitement there was whenever any of these um, establishments had, had, had done anything around it. Right. But it gives every like I mean it gives everyone exit liquidity now. It's a yeah. deeper pool, you know. So it actually makes it, and the, which is you know, we should, but which is why the price has gone yeah. down a little bit because now people can get out of it, and you know it's more you're getting more price discovery now. So it's sort of be careful what you wish for, um, if you're a, a booster of the of Bitcoin. The unintended consequences for the end investor on the Bitcoin side. Yeah, yeah quite. Yeah, yeah, quite. I mean, it, it should be noted though, and I always make a point like this. 
There are ETFs on absolutely everything out there, like right. some of the most random things in the world there are ETFs on. So the end, the end result of you know, how successful an ETF is, is generally not judged within the first few weeks of it launching, right, Sean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think like it's very, and I've actually, you know, taken a step back now that it's launched, but like it's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day horse race of it. But now that it's launched, you know, like in one way, it's kind of a boring story now. Some are going to win, some are going to lose, and that's it, right? Like, you know, there's there's definitely not a big enough market in Bitcoin to support 10 or 11 ETFs, you know? So the question is, in a year from now, how many of them have closed? And what's the, you know, total Bitcoin owned by ETFs? But like, it's sort of... It's not going to make or break it in the first week. So just sort of what happens, happens. And I guess, you know, the, the big question really is, you know, Grayscale, which had the huge head start, is bleeding assets at a spectacular rate. And sort of because they've kept, they're holding their uh, fee at like, you know, one and a half percent, which is, you know, a crazy fee for an ETF. So how, you know, how long can they hold the line of that and how many assets they lose is interesting. But beyond that, Virginia, you're right. Like, it's just sort of, there are ETFs and everything. And when you see people saying like, you know, BlackRock's into, ET, you know, Bitcoin, that means they're all in. You know, BlackRock has ETFs and literally everything. They're all in on everything at any given moment, depending on what investor demand is. It's not really, particularly that they're into anything themselves. They're into selling investment products to willing clients. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, this is a great marketing exercise for, for, for BlackRock, right? You've just appealed to an entire generation and group of people well yeah and that's exactly why they did it and that's why some of the incumbents that don't usually go into these kinds of products have them yeah. i guess from that hype perspective but it is right. funny i mean it's their etfs on pet rocks if you ask jamie diamond right yeah, these guys <laughs> yeah. are incredible i mean it's i i look forward now to the the snowy davos interview with jamie diamond every year where they ask him about <laughs> <laughs> was there a direct quote was it i'm so sick of this shit <laughs> he, he, yeah. he did actually say that on the cn was it cnbc yeah i think, yeah. I think so yeah. he doesn't want to talk about it every year it's just like stop asking me about it but they do and then it, you know then we all watch the footage so really everyone's winning except for jerry yeah <laughs> i think he's still yeah, here yeah. Uh, yeah 36 million last year i think it's pay was wasn't it I think, yeah i think he can he can uh suck it up for uh, one interview um, <laughs> but yeah no he's I mean is he still on the you know love the technology not the asset kind of line he was even quite I don't know he was kind of he, he said well blockchain's been around for a really long time again I think he said this last year as well but he was just like yeah it's not really done that much I mean that he also said that so yeah he said he said it was you know potentially useful technology because he had to tell that line but even then he didn't sound that enthusiastic yeah, yeah. but John this goes back to what you were talking about a few minutes ago, like there is definitely sort of a waning enthusiasm in DLT or blockchain in general across, you know, so the broad spectrum of financial services or TradFi. Like I think it's sort of, which is unsurprising, 10 years of pouring money into projects that have produced very little will, will you know, sort of sap anyone's enthusiasm for a project. So I think we are, you know, people are still saying tokenization, but, you know, you don't really feel the, the the love behind what we did a few years ago. Like, still people are talking about it because it's almost this feeling that, you know, this technology exists, there has to be some purpose to it, but it's still really hard to find anyone who's as enthusiastic as they were about DLT or tokenization, you know, even two yeah. years ago. Yeah, I, I'm fairly up for a year of agreeing not to talk about it at conferences. 
I'm sure we're going to have Yeah. <laughs> Good I luck mean, with that. They're just... I mean, we can definitely on this podcast make a deal that this is the last time because I think we're we're, we're we have, there's not no new development forthcoming, you know. I think AI is by far overtaken the hype. Even at, uh, during uh, Davos, right? Davos week was all about AI, and and that we've got to saturation point on that front as well with generative AI. I think. Yeah. Good God. But the speed of that comparatively just leaves yes. blockchain projects in the dust, doesn't it? Yeah. True. With generative AI, yeah. But, I mean, normal AI has been around for bloody ages. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it hasn't done well, yeah, a lot of, a lot of Yeah, a lot of the AI, AI hype in the last year is just rebranding existing stuff and calling it AI. Exactly. Like, it's sort of become a – a lot of it's not that new, but it is at least – you know, it's different. And I'm happy to talk about the AI, AI hype for a few episodes rather than the tokenization hype. Yeah. At least it's a – different set of things well no, that's it i mean this is yeah. the end of the bitcoin etf discussion um you know probably not going to yeah. shift to ethereum etf talk um or bitcoin halving right. so this is the end of an era really maybe we should just cash right, it is. <laughs> this is what people listen in for <laughs> probably. yeah i mean it's also interesting on the you know the, for the asset servicing folks out in the audience that you know none of the main custodians are really touching the part of the Bitcoin beyond admin, the Bitcoin ETF, which is sort of an interesting, which is, you know, obviously was going to happen when everyone spent a decade saying, you know, blockchain, not Bitcoin or digital assets, not Bitcoin. They were obviously not, I think everyone, lots of people in the last 10 years didn't think Bitcoin would find its way to where it is now. So lots of people didn't, you know, made bets not to deal with Bitcoin because of its bad reputation five, 10 years ago. Which means, you know, not, now that these things have been mainstreamed and are, you know, the traditional service providers aren't in the mix. It's also cost prohibitive, right, in terms of capital requirements. Um, I seem to remember that. Although that, that was a proposal anyway to, to make it difficult. That was a proposal, yeah. yeah. But but it's interesting to see Coinbase is underlying all of this, right? Given Coinbase mm -hmm. was saying Bitcoin were, what was it, Beanie Babies, Sean? <laughs> Yeah, basically, they, they, in a case, fighting one of the SEC's actions, arguing that digital assets are uh, essentially like Beanie Babies. Or, I mean, to be more accurate, they were arguing that the SEC's definition of securities for crypto could be applied to Beanie Babies, if you want to be, I mean, sort of more generous. <laughs> I bet when you, you get serious jobs in financial services, you never thought we'd be talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I think the, the the asset services matter is really interesting because I think the custodians, certainly the, the biggest ones, set up these units before that SAB 121 rule, which I think you were just referring to, Virginia, um, mm -hmm. you know, came to the fore. So, you know, they, they invested in it, they pinned their hopes on it, and then suddenly this regulation is there that just, just stops things, stops them in their tracks. Some of those digital units are still going. I think they're, they're, they're honestly, I think they're shedding people though. I think the pace okay. of progress is just is far too slow for people that want to work in in this uh, kind of field they'll just go off and join uh, a, another digital asset firm which are all getting bought up by different um market infrastructures really right <laughs> yeah. that's it's interesting to yeah. see that happening um because it wasn't it i think Euroclear's bought is it funds dlt or something like that recently as well haven't they uh, it was. i think it was clearstream was it clearstream yeah. okay um yeah. yes but yeah and then dtcc bought the currency didn't yeah. they yeah, I think that I think the custodians are a little bit um, stuck in what they can offer. They're just doing the general asset servicing around it, but in terms of custody of it, they're just they're just stuck until getting you more regulatory clarity. So, yeah. yeah. Well, look, that's um, that's a pretty 
good deep dive into it. I feel like we just needed to do this to, to, to cap it off. Catharsis, John. Catharsis. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good to it's good to draw a line under it. We should set the agenda. So yeah, no Bitcoin ETF, no tokenization. We want a lot of AI. Um, I'm going to cybersecurity. I'm going to say yeah. after recent events. Yeah, and Dora, like Dora is just yeah, it's all the operational resilience stuff. Yeah, come really, really prominent now, isn't it? Yep. And then again, yeah, the SEC custody rule and SAB 21. Well, yeah, you got. I mean, we have lots of actual like, meat and potato regulatory and market developments to discuss this year. I think you know. You have a, you know, the SEC, custody rule, like you said, the potential for mandatory swing pricing. There's a lot happening in the traditional space. It's probably, now that the sort of carnival sideshow of Bitcoin ETFs is over, hopefully a lot a lot of people in the industry can pay a little more attention to the more pressing yeah. issues. Oh, like T plus one. And MIFID. Yeah, I mean. I, MIFID as well, MIFID review, yeah. right? Right, MIFID review, oh. yeah. I mean, you get the Amir refit coming yeah. in in a couple months. Like, I mean, there's a lot happening that's far more consequential than, though decidedly less sexy than crypto and tokenization. Oh, this has really served as a uh, preview show for the rest of the series. Which is great. <laughs> um, so yeah, look, well, let's uh, let's let's cut it there. And um, uh, Virginia, what uh, what are you, you working on at the moment? I'm going to guess operational resiliency. Uh, yes, massive amount of work on that. Um, it was two of our trends this year for, for 2024 around that topic. So just because there's been so many different things happening, outages, hacks, um, lots of really interesting things going on there. So uh, and that, you know, Dora's coming in in 2025 in the, the start of the year. So uh, and nobody's prepared for that. So <laughs> that's definitely a big topic, as is T plus one. As is T plus one, the gift that keeps on giving. Our um our awards are actually on the thirtieth of May. So two days after, and uh, yeah, I suddenly realised, oh wow, is everyone going to be pretty busy? Um, <laughs> 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 um, Sean, where can people find your uh, thoughts and views? Well, as always, I'm out on the uh, the Twitter sphere riffing on Finreg, or if memes are what you're into, Finreg memes over on Instagram. You are listening to There's Always a Finreg Angle podcast from Global Custodian. Stream on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or catch up wherever you get your podcasts from.